0: Our gospel and primary reading, uh, preaching text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, which can be found in your pew Bible on page 2 of the New Testament. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Please be seated. And will you join me in a moment of prayer? Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Christmas was only four days ago and the glow of the Christmas trees still illuminate the church. Yet the text this morning don't doesn't give us much time to bask in the glory of the Messiah's birth. In four short verses, the peace of Christmas is gone. The Magi are headed home, Their evasion of Herod throws him into a rage. Jesus is being whisked away by his parents in the dark of night after Joseph's dream, and Bethlehem is in utter mourning. The text this morning highlights what a dangerous world Jesus had been born into. This world wasn't just threatening to him as the Messiah, but to everyone, as Herod demonstrates in the slaughter of the innocents. Herod's vengeance toward those who threatened his power is well documented, even if this particularly cruel act is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. But Joseph's series of dreams reveal how God's hand is guiding the Holy Family's path. After reading about the flight of Egypt, I started to wonder about the logistics of such an undertaking 2,000 years ago. How long would a journey like that take? What kind of topography would they encounter? What route might they choose? And how far would they have to travel into Egypt to feel safe? And why Egypt? During my research, I came across an article that the LA Times ran long ago regarding Mary and Joseph's travel to Bethlehem for the Roman census. So back up with me for a week. According to the late archeologist and Baptist minister James F. Strange, who by the way earned his PhD in New Testament studies at Drew, that Christmas trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem would have been about 90 miles through forests with bears and lions with additional danger from wild boar who might attack travelers and bandits who might rob them. The maximum these travelers might go in a day is about 20 miles though a pregnant woman on a donkey might travel only ten. But that journey was behind Mary and Joseph by the time we get to this week's text. Now they are fleeing politically sanctioned violence against children in Bethlehem, the home of Joseph's family. Despite the Old Testament passages about enslavement of the Israelites in Egypt and conflict with Pharaoh, Egypt, to the south of Israel, was a traditional safe haven for those fleeing famine and persecution. On the website Opus Dei, the writer J.A. Loarte writes that the trip from Bethlehem to Egypt would be several hundred miles and last 10 to 14 days. Though a well-traveled and easier route through Gaza ran south along the Mediterranean coast, the less-traveled route through the desert might be safer for a family fleeing Herod because they would be fugitives. That route would require them to join a caravan where they would meet strangers and form relationships that would help them survive the Idumean desert where they would face extreme heat, lack of water, and more bandits. This route was so difficult that an early historian recorded the story of two Roman soldiers who were taking the same route 150 years before the Holy Family, and these men were more afraid of the perils of the desert than the battles they would encounter at their destination. Thinking about how long it would take to travel from Bethlehem to Egypt has gotten me thinking about other folks who make perilous journeys to escape violence. I read a story online recently about a woman named Anna, the single mom of a seven-year-old girl, a PTA member, and the owner of a shop where she sold small gifts and souvenirs. Anna's business allowed her to support herself and her daughter, but her success caught the attention of some local thugs who began to shake her down for protection money. One day when she was walking home from her daughter's school, a gang member walked up to her on the street and in broad daylight pulled a gun and indicated that she'd better come up with the money in 24 hours. It's not hard to imagine that once she gave into that threat, it would just be the beginning. Anna took her daughter and set out on an 1800 mile journey that very night. The details of her journey north were omitted from the story, but she undoubtedly traveled with a caravan of others, and they would have to form relationships and work together to survive. I'm not sure that most of us in Madison can put our feet in Anna's shoes. We are blessed with rule of law, economic independence, and education to help us maintain stability and agency. Nonetheless, we all experience unexpected journeys when we are set upon paths that we don't choose and often don't want. We aren't in control and the outcome is far from decided. Job changes or job loss, moving to a new town, financial hardship, difficult relationships, loneliness, depression, addiction, illnesses of our own and those of our loved ones. When we experience these journeys, we have dual roles. We are the recipients of God's grace because he walks with us in these situations. And we are the givers of God's grace when we act as his hands and feet by helping out, speaking a kind word, or just withholding judgment. In Egypt, it was the local people who helped this holy family find shelter. Their many acts of kindness marked the early beginnings of the Coptic Christian denomination, which flourished in Egypt after Jesus's death some 33 years later. Mark established the church there, and today 10% of the population is Christian. The Coptic Christians still revere the places where the Holy Family is said to have wandered and have built beautiful churches on the sites. A monastery in the Nile Valley was built on the site where tradition holds that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus spent at least six months, and interestingly, the location is the exact geographical center of the country. There are some 30 sites in Egypt sanctioned as significant, and a nun writing at the University of Dayton tallies the entire flight to Egypt and back to Israel as covering more than 1,200 miles and ending at the doorstep of Joseph's old home in Nazareth. You would think that the family that raised our Savior would be spared hardship, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Many of you read Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, a few years ago. Rohr suggests that instead of finding identity in our wounds, that we instead transform these places of brokenness into sacred wounds to to redeem the world. This process of metamorphosis, he tells us, creates healing for ourselves and for others. He writes, in fact, that it is the arduous journey outside of our comfort zone that brings us to a new place and a new self. And on this journey, there is almost always a wounding. And the great epiphany is that the wound becomes the secret key, even sacred, a wound that changes us dramatically, which, by the way, is the precise meaning of the wounds of Jesus. We are all traveling every day, and we never know who is in our midst. One detail that I learned in seminary recently has dramatically changed my viewpoint and the lens through which I read the Bible. When we look at paintings of Jesus, Joseph, and Mary from the Renaissance or even through modern periods, they often look like white Europeans, sometimes with beautiful halos to symbolize their holiness. In fact, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were dark-skinned Palestinian Jews, and when they bought food at the local market or inquired about shelter across the border, their halos were indivisible. We are redeemed by God's Son, who was born a helpless infant and raised by human parents. When the Holy Family fled Bethlehem, they didn't know where the journey would take them, but they put their faith in God and found assistance and guidance along the way. Likewise, We are all fellow travelers and need the assistance of a caravan in this world. We make friends with people who are going in our direction and mutual cooperation makes the journey better. At the dawn of the new year, what can each of us do to pay Jesus's redeeming gift forward? I invite the ushers uh, forward. For our ties and offerings.